Welcome back to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn. Thank you for joining me. Before we get started today, I want to give you an idea of where we're going, both with respect to today's episode and then in some future episodes. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at some of the older cartels. We've looked at cartels that have risen and fallen whether they've completely disappeared or become a shadow of their former self. And we've looked at their leadership, their history, maybe drawn a few conclusions. And we're going to conclude those those examinations by looking at the Knights Templar. And not the Knights Templar from Monty Python, but Knights Templar from Michel Akan. And we're going to look again, as we have in the past, at their their rise, their fall, their leadership, and some interesting nuances with respect to this particular group. Then next week, we're going to go back to the Camarena case. But we're going to do it in a different context. So in the past, we've looked at the Camarena case. We've looked at some of the facts. We've looked at the allegations made relating to that case in The Last Narc and in Hector Breas's book, and we've dispelled a lot of those allegations or disproven a lot of them, at least in my mind. So going forward, we're going to use, at least for a few episodes, Narcos Mexico as a reference point, but we're going to do it in this way. Narcos Mexico doesn't present itself as a documentary, right? But there are a lot of facts, circumstances, events that I think people believe to be true because they saw it in Narcos Mexico. And I want to talk about some of those where the facts may be slightly different or you need a nuance or just things where they took dramatic license, which they are entitled to do. But if we're going to talk about the camera in a case, and if we're going to get back to some of the allegations, and if we are going to have reasonable discussions about that case and the continuing issues surrounding the case, especially if Rafael Caro Quintero gets extradited to the United States and is tried for the for the Camarena case, we have to be comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges. And so I think it's important that some of the factual issues that arise from watching Narcos Mexico be addressed. So that's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. One other thing I want to mention before we go to the Knights Templar is my YouTube channel. And how are we going to use it? One of the things that we can do on the YouTube channel that we don't in these episodes is we can show pictures. We can show video. And I'm going to use the YouTube channel to be able to present things in a slightly different way than we can here. Conversely, in these podcasts, we can go into way more detail. Right, We can take these deep dives. We can explore things. Two different functions, two different services, two different mindsets. 
I'm going to try very hard to minimize the overlap, but there will be similar topics. So I would love it if you could check out the YouTube channel. Uh, if it's stuff that you like, great. Watch it. If it's stuff that you're not interested, that's fine. Come back next week and we'll have our deep dives on these podcasts. Coming up on Tuesday, we're going to have some video and some pictures and a little bit better description of some of the violence that we have seen in Matamoros and other cities in Tamaulipas. Uh, so look for that. Again, I think it's pretty interesting. Um, but uh, you decide for yourself. All right. The Knights Templar. These guys are interesting. They really weren't around very long. Um, frankly, I don't know how powerful they really were or what the, you know, how far their influence really went. But they're just so darn unusual that we got to talk about them. Now, as we talked about last week, when we talked about La Familia Michoacana, the Knights Templar roots really lie in the rise of LFM under the direction of Nazario Moreno Gonzalez, El Mas Loco, the craziest one, which is still by far my favorite uh, cartel name. We talked last week about the fact that LFM took advantage of or, you know, rose on the backs of the proliferation of the crystal meth trade and their proximity to and or control over the Pacific port of Lazaro Cardenas. We talked extensively about a December 10 shootout or December 2010, sorry, shootout. You know, I, I've read more about it this last week. 2,000 military people involved. They ran into hundreds of gunmen. I mean, it was crazy. Days of shooting. Apparently, as we talked about last week, the cartel folks were able to take their wounded, their fatalities, and hide them up in the mountains uh, so that the military didn't get to most of them. It was believed at the time, maybe, that El Masloco, you know, Moreno Gonzalez, was killed during that shootout. Some of the things I've read this last week make me a little bit dubious if anybody really believed that. But what we do know is he went into hiding and was no longer kind of the public face of La Familia Michoacana, even kind of within the group. So that's December 2010. And El Mas Loco is out of the picture. There ends up being a division in kind of the transition from El Mas Loco Moreno Gonzalez, you know, into the new leadership. And you end up with two primary leaders. One is Servando Gomez Martinez, who was the operational chief and the spokesperson 
for LFM. And then there was Jose de Jesus Mendez Vargas, El Chango, the ape that we talked about last week. For a period of time, a very short period of time, these two and some others may have kind of coexisted within LFM, but fairly quickly after that, Gomez Martinez takes other kind of leaders from LFM and a lot of soldiers and forms the Knights Templar Cartel. Now, Gomez Martinez is known as La Tuta, or the teacher, because apparently he'd been a middle school teacher in Mexico at some point. As I'm sure you know, the Knights Templar took their name from the Knights Templar, who were part of the Crusades in the 12 and 1300s. They, of course, are most famous for stories around the Holy Grail, some of their attempts to liberate the Holy Land, and we have them to thank for the uh, Friday the 13th fears and phobias because they were essentially rounded up on Friday, October 13th, 1307. And some great things on the History Channel, if you want to check it out, as to whether or not they were completely run into extinction at that point or whether they went to different places, including but not limited to perhaps the Money Pit and or the United States. But having said that, we're not really sure why Latuta used the name um, Knights Templar. You know, it, it could be that he had some connection to it. Um, could be that he read the Da Vinci Code. Nevertheless, what we do know is, you know, that under uh, Moreno, LFM, they really were evangelicals, even though El Masloco had been Catholic. So you've got all these different religious issues going around. Irrespective, they call themselves the Knights Templar, and we'll see how they use some of that imagery going forward. They split off, and very quickly or almost immediately, there is a violent rivalry between the Knights Templar and La Familia Michoacana. Remember, as we talked about last week, June 21, 2011, Mendez Vargas is captured by Mexican security forces, and at least according to the Mexican Attorney General and some other observers, By the middle or end of 2011, LFM really doesn't exist as a cartel anymore. And so most of the people who had been involved in in LFM, you know, on on that kind of a foot soldier sort of um, basis, ended up joining the Knights Templar or some other, you know, splinter groups of less significance. The emergence of the Knights Templar were um, was proclaimed on banners that were strung up in various locations in Michoacan. 
they um, they said at the time, the Knights did, that they were the new name of La Familia Michoacana. So they, um, you know, they held on to that traditional name, at least for public relations purposes. Some of the banners said, uh, amongst other things, that the Knights were committed to safeguarding of order, preventing robberies, kidnappings, and extortions. And this is a theme we've seen in the past, right? Hey, we're the good guys. CJNG has done that. LFM did that. Others have done that. You know, the Zetas, hey, we're the good guys. Everybody else is bad. Notably, when Pope Benedict visited Mexico, uh, there were a lots, uh, a lots. There were many uh, banners and displays from the Knights Templar calling for peace in his honor. Gomez apparently oversaw a council of twelve deputies. Look for all the imagery, uh, you know that that he uses. So, twelve deputies responsible for a different function or a different component of the operation. So you had drug production, trafficking, spying, etc. This is according to some reports from uh, the military. One of the things that the Knights did, in addition to continuing the trade of methamphetamine, is they also had an extortion arm to them. And in the capital city of Morelia, in Michoacan, business leaders uh, usually had to pay to the cartel. You know, they had this, this ex- extortion. But they also had a, um, a deep-seated connection to the civilians in kind of that Tierra Caliente region. And the civilians really, I, I want to say, supported um, the cartel, and they were the foundation of it. And so one of the things that I think Gomez did well initially is came in and said hey we're going to protect the the civilians the innocent people and we're going to extort businesses which is okay because it's not the little people right and and that's how they got um you know kind of this grassroots feel to them um notwithstanding the imagery of the uh, Knights Templar. They also did, you know, all the things that we've talked about, you know, uh, giving presents and uh, doing civil, civil projects in certain communities in Michoacan. So anything they could do to ingratiate themselves to the civilian population. Uh, We're going to talk in a few minutes or a couple minutes about some of the ceremonies that the Knights held, especially their induction ceremonies. But one of the things they're most famous for is, remember, Elmas Loco had his Bible? The Knights Templar had a code book and 53 commandments that the members of the Knights cartel were, were supposed to obey. 
So some of them were more uh, proclamations justifying their own ex- existence. So, for example, uh, Code Number Twelve said the Knights Templar will establish an ideological battle and defend the values of, of a society based on ethics. Um, others talked about discipline and organization, and specifically focused on retribution for anyone who should cross them or more importantly, betray them. So code number 52 says any knight who betrays the Templars will receive the maximum punishment. Their properties will be taken and the same fate will befall their family. So that's pretty significant retribution, right? Uh, they also talk about uh, the fact that that the soldiers should be or, or act like gentlemen. They should have uh, respect for women. So you have this interesting dichotomy. There also are things talking about that they shouldn't do drugs, which was a theme from LFM, right? Um, and there's punishment if you're caught doing uh Crystal meth, and yet the cartel is making its money off of crystal meth. Interesting dichotomy. And and as LFM had done, some of the justification for that dichotomy is it's okay if we send it to somebody else. Somebody else can do the drugs. We can make the money from it, but we can't do it ourselves. You know, decide for yourself how uh, <laughs> how consistent that is, or how hypocritical it is. So, here's some of the interesting things. At one time, the Mexican army found about 120 plastic helmets, um, worn by members of the Knights Templar, allegedly during their initiation ceremonies. The helmets were the kind that rural Mexicans would wear during Easter week when they were going to portray centurions. They also found um, hooded tunics with a red cross on it. And so there was this whole idea um, that they would, you know, they were a secret society, kind of like the, you know, the, the Templars of past, a secret society. And they had, um, these ritualistic initiation ceremonies. Um, one of the things that they did, again, I think this is this is just interesting from an anthropological standpoint, but they would recruit drug users and enroll them in the cartel-run rehabilitation centers. And they were closely monitored in this rehabilitation center they had a very strong religious component. Failure really was not an option. Uh, strong retribution if you didn't pass through this rehabilitation process. But they were being rehabilitated to then be in a position to help the cartel sell the drugs that they were addicted to. Here's something that that I think is interesting 
I just don't know how true it is. I really don't. But here's what they say. At the initiation ceremony, there would be organs, usually hearts, and people being initiated into the cartel would have to eat these organs, the hearts. And this is allegedly, according to some detained former gang members, uh, it's also said that some of these hearts came from local children who'd been kidnapped for organ trafficking purposes. I have no way of knowing if that's even close to correct, but it's certainly out there in the blogosphere, right? So, if we go back, December 2010, you know, it's kind of that big date because that's when uh, there's the shootout and El Mas Loco is gone. Hey. So, Knights Templar really starts off 2011 or so, and its life is pretty short because on February 7, 2015, La Tuta is arrested by Mexican federal police. Uh, so were a number of his associates. Much of the property uh, was also seized. I mean, this is a big, successful raid. Two um, people kind of took over the cartel. There was somebody by the name of Pablo Toscana Padilla, uh, L-500, and someone referred to as his lieutenant, Ezekiel Castaneda, uh, and they were killed in September of 2017, probably by elements of La... Nueva Familia Michoacana. Remember last week we talked about kind of the rebirth of LFM through this La Nueva Familia, which now is basically just La Familia Michoacana. But apparently, the idea was the uh, these leaders of the remnants of the Knights Templar. L-500 and Castaneda, they were going to go try to work out some type of a peace pact with CJNG, which at that time was really wanting to expand into Michoacan. And the La Nueva Familia Michoacana elements killed them in part to prevent this alliance between the Knights Templar and CJNG. So really, by about September 2017, this cartel is gone, gone. It had really been decimated in 2015 after Latuta was arrested, but it was gone <laughs> by the end of 2017 or so. The you know, the rank and file of the cartel split into several different directions. Some went with CJNG and were helping their expansion into Michoacana. Some went back with this new La F Nueva Familia that's now La Familia Michoacana. 
Uh, and then some went with some other splinter groups. But again, for all intents and purposes, the Knights Cartel ceased to exist. You will see on social media occasionally people talking about members of the Knights Cartel uh, or the Knights Templar. You'll hear people say that they are part of the Knights Templar. These are one-offs, two-offs, they're small groups. The cartel in any sense of a large organization does not exist anymore. Um, you know, one of the things I guess that's that's really interesting about this, if you look at La Familia and look at the Knights Templar, how they had a very hard time um, dealing with the turnover in leadership. And we've seen that when we talked about the Zetas. We saw that in talking about the Gulf Cartel. Uh, and makes me think about El Mencho, El Mayo, Los Chapitos. You know, CJNG has been around for a long time. El Mencho's been at the head for a long time. What is the succession process going to look like for CJNG when El Mencho dies or is arrested? Same thing for the El Mayo portion of CDS. By and large, it seems to me that the one narrative that you can take from almost every examination of these older cartels is that transition is very, very difficult. And, you know, that's not that different than some other organizations you look at. If you go look look at the mafia in New York and the number of fights that started over succession planning, who takes over after whom? Even if, you know, even if the leader says, hey, after I'm gone, it's going to be him. That doesn't mean everybody goes along with it. You know, that's how John Gotti got into power because he didn't accept the succession. So that wraps up the Knights Templar. Uh, shorter version with the Knights Templar because there's just not that much information about them. And frankly, they went around that long. Um, I, I've, I'm very curious about how much of the stories are apocryphal uh, and how much is true. I do know that some of this comes directly from military reports from captured cartel members. So who knows? Uh, some of the, the stories about them come from some very respected journalists. So I'll leave it to you to see how much you want to believe or not believe. And that really wraps it up for us today. Again, take a look at the YouTube channel, please. Just, uh, you know, take a glance at it. There's some interesting things in there. I will note real quick, I put on the YouTube channel whether people wanted to talk about current events, um, the Cameron case or, you know, kind of older cartel histories and things. And it was split almost evenly between talking about the camera in a case and talking about current events and current cartel issues. 
So we're going to try to follow that and go back and forth. And we'll do a little bit of the same on this podcast. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. I still plan on doing a podcast then. But in advance, I'll say Happy Mother's Day to everybody. And I'll repeat that next week. So for today, this has been Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.